Unfortunately, for many modern-day Christians, there seems to be a view of our Bible and the teachings of the Lord Jesus as being just really good and godly instructions to live by. That the most important purpose of these New Testament scriptures that we study each week is that they are a good guidebook for us to take with us as we go about our day. And while, yes, those thoughts and those ideas have some validity, they are by far a secondary purpose for these words that we read in this book. The first and the greatest purpose for all of these truths that are given to us in this sacred text is that these words tell us about the Lord Jesus. They tell us about the Lord Jesus, who He is, and how if we have His saving Holy Spirit within us, we can then begin to be like Him. Now let me say that again. This Bible is not first and foremost about you, about me. It is not. It's not about us. It's first and foremost about the Lord Jesus. And as we study these words, I would challenge you and me to first see the Lord Jesus in all that we read. With that being said, then, may we begin today by reading these precious words given to us here in Luke chapter 10. This beginning in verse 25. Verse 25, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and he tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he, Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? And what is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he wanting, this is the lawyer, but he wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked, and he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you need, when I come again, I'll repay you. So which of these three, Jesus asked, so which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he, the lawyer, said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now over these past two weeks or so as we've studied about this encounter that Jesus had with this Jewish lawyer, We've noted that while this man was deliberately using the opportunity to test Jesus, perhaps hoping to trick him into saying something that might discredit him, all such encounters, all such encounters 
were never a surprise to Jesus. To the contrary, they were opportunities. Opportunities that were deliberately orchestrated by him. Now here, while the lawyer had these deceitful motives, Jesus was ever and always carefully following the mission that he was sent to carry out. And that was to seek and to save those who are lost. And while the lawyer was probably well trained in the use of his words, he was no match for the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus turned the man's question right back up on him and led the man's answers directly to the point that the man needed to know. First, Jesus turned the man's attention back to the Holy Scriptures. The only source, folks, the only source of real truth that's trustworthy for guidance. And in reading these, then, the man was led to the exact words that would begin to answer his questions for him. Listen again. The man said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus then pointed him back to the Scriptures, and he said, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Not only what are the words that are there, but how do you understand those words to direct you? What do you understand those words to mean? And so he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, You've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. As we said in an earlier message, these words tell this man clearly that the pathway to eternal life begins with love. It begins with love, a special kind of love, a love that is very different from any other kind of love that anyone has ever known before. It's a love that extends first to a deep love for God, and then it extends on out to a deep love for people. A love that is beyond measure, beyond any measure that the human mind might be able to comprehend. And then also, as these words tell us, that love would need to come forth not only from that person's mind, their intellect. It would also need to come forth from their heart, their soul, and their strength. And in another place in these scriptures, Jesus said that all of the laws and all of the prophets are wrapped up within this kind of love. That if we have and if we show this kind of love, we will never sin against God, nor will we sin against our neighbor. If we have this kind of love, we will never sin against God or our neighbor. And because that's true, Jesus then was able to say, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. In other words, as we learn from the book of James... A person must be a doer of the word and not just a reader or a knower of the word. They have to be a doer and not just a hearer of these words. Are you a doer of these words? You've heard them many times over again. But are you a doer? And then also, as we're told in several places within these Gospels, the Lord Jesus was able to know every thought that flowed through the minds of everyone that he encountered. And here, no doubt, he knew the mind of this Jewish lawyer. He knew that the man was very well versed as a hearer of the word, that he was trained in these words. That's why he's described as a lawyer. He knew these words well, but Jesus knew that he fell far short 
of being a good doer of these words. And so Jesus then told him to first go and become a doer, a doer of the words that you're quoting. And then although this conversation and these, in, these instructions from the Lord Jesus were in the context of Old Testament law, here Jesus would introduce New Testament truths and principles into this conversation. And to do that, when the lawyer asks the next question about who his neighbor might be, Jesus very wisely led this man's thoughts through the responses that other men might have had to the needs of this injured man on the street. First that of a priest, then of a Levite, and then of a Samaritan. And to the response by the Samaritan, Jesus clearly illustrated the truth of the words that were given in the book of the law. This response by the Samaritan was what the book of the law had prescribed, that of a person needing to love their neighbor. And within this parable, Jesus was implying that his people, the Jews, were all falling short of the commands and the laws of God. And this principle about love would be one of the strongest emphasis that Jesus would teach all throughout his gospel. That of first loving the Lord your God, and then flowing out from our love for God, our love for people. And that truth is made especially plain in the book of 1 John. Listen to these words given to us in 1 John, beginning in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Then also over in the book of John, chapter 13, Jesus spoke these same words as he was teaching his disciples about how they would need to conduct their ordinary behaviors of daily life. There he said in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, folks, in these words, Jesus went a step further in explaining this last portion of the command to love our neighbor as ourselves. Here he tells us that we must not only love people in the same way that we love ourselves, we need to also love people with the same intensity, the same measure of love that Jesus loves them, willing even to die for them. Now may I pause here for a moment and add a current day example of the question that's being considered here in this parable of the Good Samaritan. And it comes from a question that had come up in a Bible study that I attend on a weekly basis. And the question was asked, can a person observe another person and know if they're truly a Christian? Or in the case of this Jewish lawyer and these three men in this parable, this priest, this this Levite, and the Samaritan, can we observe the behavior of those men and determine if they might have a relationship with God? Now, while only the Holy Spirit can truly know for sure if a person is saved, or in the case of the Jewish lawyer, if they 
truly have a relationship with God. It seems that Jesus is telling us that by our observing a person's behavior, we can get a pretty good estimation of their relationship with the Lord. Now again, the scripture that we just read from John 13, by this, by the behavior, by the love, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then also over in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus uh, said that we would be able to recognize a person's relationship to God measured by their fruits. Listen to these words. This is Matthew chapter 7. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now this Jewish lawyer who was talking to the Lord Jesus was asking a very essential question of life that concerned his own soul about how to gain eternal life. But Jesus knew that this question was not as small as this man seemed to make it. It had a much broader meaning. The question was about himself, yes, but it was also inseparably linked to his relationship with his neighbor. And that's so with you and me. And again, yes, as we're told here, the motive behind this question that the Jewish lawyer was asking was deceptive. But as we've said, while this man had his own deceptive motives, God also at the same time knew this man's heart. And God had his own plans and his own motives for this man's soul. And so he led this man to ask this question. God's plans, folks, are always righteous and purposeful. God wanted both this man and also you and me to know the real and righteous answer to this man's question so that both he and we could know what it would take to not only gain the eternal life that this man was seeking, but also that we would know if we have that eternal life that's been given by the Lord Jesus. It would seem that this question being asked, who is my neighbor, is a simple one. But it's not as simple as we sometimes make it out to be. As I sat and as I studied through these words, I thought about the people who lived in the houses near to mine. Think about those people who live in the houses near to you. Because those are the people that we most often think are our neighbors. As I pondered about my relationship with them, how much actual contact, interaction that I have with each of them. Folks, I was saddened by the realization that I barely know some of them. How well do you know the people in your neighborhood just a few houses away from you? I could think of two or three of these neighbors that I had a relationship with, but there were many, many more that I did not have a relationship with, that I didn't even know. But are those people, those people who live in those houses near yours, near mine, are they our only neighbors? especially as God would define the word neighbor. The words in this particular parable 
about the Good Samaritan would suggest that God considers, listen, that God considers my neighbor to be most any person other than myself. Your neighbor is most any person other than yourself. Even strangers that you might meet along the way each day. And while this command itself is about loving our neighbors, it seems from this and other scriptures that the very word neighbor, it implies a measure of caring and love within its core meaning. And folks, I confess that I'm influenced in these thoughts by the many years that I watched the television program, Mr. Rogers. The program was called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And it was filled with loving, caring people. People who demonstrated all the many characteristics of love. From the people who lived next door, to the mailman who would come to visit, to the firemen, to the policemen, and all the many more. And all of them were Mr. Rogers' neighbors. And he would invite others to be his neighbor. And no, a television program is not a final definition of who is my neighbor. But it really does help us with our understanding that our neighbor truly is anyone other than ourself. Your neighbor is anyone other than yourself. But again, I want us to see this passage and this question involving this Jewish lawyer and the Lord Jesus. I want us to see that it's far bigger than our small minds want to imagine it to be. As we consider the words of this passage here in Luke chapter 10, there are several thoughts that come to my mind. Jesus was fully aware that the command to love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength was an impossible task for this man, this Jewish lawyer. It was an impossible thing that he was commanding this man to do, especially without the help of the Holy Spirit. And knowing that then, Jesus went ahead and used this question and this parable as a teaching moment for this man. This Jewish man had evidently been searching his soul. He had examined himself as to whether or not he had eternal life, and he had come up doubting. And again, while his question was formed in a deceptive manner, he meant it for harm for the Lord Jesus. But God the Father meant it for good for this man. And had intentionally drawn him, drawn this man to the Lord Jesus so that this man could ask these questions about eternal life. Here in this passage, in answer to this man's question about who his neighbor might be, Jesus then slowly walked him and us through a word picture of some observable fruits and behaviors that are seen clearly within the responses of these three men, this priest, this Levite, and the Samaritan. And these responses not only tell us who our neighbor is, they also reveal both the character within the soul of these three men and also these three men's probable relationship with God. Because you can know them by their fruits, Jesus said. In this account, a man, a traveler, whom we will assume was a Jew, was traveling towards Jericho when he suddenly fell among thieves. He was beaten, badly injured, and he was left for dead. And then here, Jesus describes for us three kinds of responses, three kinds of fruits and behaviors that we're able to easily observe. Let me read these again. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road 
And when he saw him, saw this injured man, he passed by on the other side. And likewise then, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, he came and he looked at that man, that injured man, and he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where this injured man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine over him. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of this man, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. With this story, folks, Jesus was able to elicit a right answer from this Jewish lawyer about who his neighbor was. Verse 36, Jesus said, So which of these three do you think was neighbor? Now remember, neighbor has a connotation to it of caring. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. These kinds of word pictures that Jesus uses are so often revealing to us. They especially reveal to us the heart and the character of the Lord Jesus himself. The Lord Jesus is talking about himself here. We have to understand that. And you and I need to recognize that the loving compassion shown by this good Samaritan is much like the loving compassion shown by the Lord Jesus. He gives us help, and and He gives us comfort in our darkest hour, in our times of our greatest need. And then He makes provision for our future. Folks, this is a loving Savior, the Lord Jesus. And He's demonstrating Himself in the behaviors of this Good Samaritan. Now, we aren't told what took place next in the encounter between Jesus and this Jewish lawyer. I would love to know what the man's next response was. Did he ask any more questions of the Lord Jesus? Or did he just simply turn and walk away? Because you'll recall that I mentioned on another occasion that there was a similar encounter with another member of the Jewish ruling council. There he was described as a rich young ruler. And on that occasion, that man seemed genuinely interested in gaining eternal life. But he was wealthy, and he had a wonderful position within the community, and he treasured his riches and his position. In that man's encounter with Jesus, Jesus had told him to go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. That man's response was he turned sadly and walked away because he loved his riches. Regrettably, That's often the response that people have to the offer of salvation and eternal life that is given through preaching messages like this or through your witness to them. They often turn sadly and walk away. Love for this world and the things of this world, folks, is so very strong, so compelling. We do like the lifestyle and we want to keep the lifestyle that we're accustomed to. Do we turn sadly and walk away? I want to encourage you and me as we would witness to people. And as they 
turn sadly and walk away from our witness that we need not, we must not be discouraged. As disciples of the Lord Jesus, you and I really must love our neighbor enough to be willing to keep giving them these words of life, these words that can bring them to salvation and to eternal life. Simply put, these closing words from the Lord Jesus in this passage, they are a command to you and me, a command that you and I must not ignore. They're simple words, but they're demanding upon us. Jesus tells you and me simply to go and do likewise. Go and do likewise to show love for our neighbor by keeping on offering them the eternal life that Jesus has within him. Now, one last thought before we close. As Christians, people will be drawn by God the Father to you and to me. And they'll ask this same question of us. They may phrase it differently, but it is essentially the same question. They'll be asking, what must they do to gain eternal life? And you and I really do need to be ready with the right answer because he says, go and do likewise. You and I need to be ready with the right answer that he had. And folks, from these scriptures, I find no better answer than the one given to us in 1 John 5. And it's a simple one. In 1 John 5 verse 11, we're told, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Now, why do I give you this verse? It's because so often we're caught unaware and we want to offer them some personal reason for their need to know Christ. And folks, too often our personal comments are not sufficient. And so I want to encourage us to give them words such as this. And this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So then, folks, you and I must be good neighbors to the next people in need. And we need to give him or her all that God has asked that we give to them. And that's his gospel, his saving gospel. Let's pray. Oh, dear Father, thank you. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for revealing yourself within these scriptures. Help us to know that these scriptures are all about you. They're not about us. They're about you. Help us to be like you. We pray in Jesus' precious name.